Luke chapter 16, Jesus is teaching us about how to live in this world with integrity and with deep faith. Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to the, man, to the owner that this manager was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me an accounting of your management, because you cannot be my management any longer. The manager said to himself, what will I do? Now that my master's taking my position away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that When I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his manager's debtors one at a time, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. He asked another, How much do you owe? He said, A hundred containers of wheat. He said, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his manager, his master, commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, said Jesus, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone they may welcome you into the eternal home. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. As you're seated, we invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship. Let's bow together and pray. Give us, we pray, O God, the capacity to hear your spirit speaking through scripture and sermon and song and whatever it takes to awaken us to you. You who are bigger than this room, you who are bigger than any one language or one religion, You who are the very beauty and essence of life itself. As Mary of old said, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's talk a little bit about money, shall we? Everybody likes to talk about money in church. We are actually in the season of developing our next year's budget, and that's always a time uh, 
that brings out my particular expertise, being quite the money manager that I am, <clears throat> uh, um, no. But it is a season also where we uh, think about money, so we talk about money. We talk about giving love. It's a, a little uh, amendment to uh, our building love theme, giving love. It's not only about fundraising. It's about faith raising. It's about inviting people, you and me, no matter what we have, to commit and support the corporate mission and vision that we are together as a church. Some people really resist fundraising seasons, whether it's on NPR when they do their, ad, their campaigns or here at church, especially here at church. The church isn't supposed to talk about money, I hear. Really. Does that mean that the church is... Uh, the old heresy Gnosticism? Is the church Gnostic? Are we not really human, flesh and blood? Are we some kind of spirit? Do we pay our electricity by spirit dollars? How does this work if it's going to be Gnostic? The Sisters of Charity long ago taught me this lesson. Four short words. No margin, no mission. No margin, no, no money. You don't have any income. You can't do what you're called to do. Together we've been called to do some things, and it takes money to fund it. So we talk about money. But the main reason we talk about money in church is not just to raise our own operating budget. The main reason we talk about money in church is because Jesus talked so much about money. He talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. Think about that. Jesus talked more about money than he did about heaven or hell. No, usually when you think about Jesus, you think about, am I going to heaven or hell? That's not the message at all. His message is, how are you living? What are you doing? Especially in the gospel of Luke. Luke focuses a lot on money. Lots of people talk about money in Luke. In Luke chapter 1, Mary, in the Song of Mary... He scattered the proud in, in their thoughts. He's, he's lifted up the lowly, and he sent the rich away empty. In John the Baptist's message, before Jesus comes along and is baptized, John's out in the wilderness preaching, those of you who have two coats, give one away. That's how you roll. That's what we do. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus gives his, he, he, he begins his, his ministry in Luke 4. By taking the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and finding the place where it's written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. It's about money. It's about, it's about how we live together. Woe to you who are rich, Jesus says in Luke. He tells the parable in Luke of the rich fool. He tells the, the parable about the rich man and Lazarus. He tells this very strange, very strange parable that we just read together. All of which to say is when Jesus talks a lot about a particular topic, about a particular subject, I think it's an invitation for you and me to listen. Listen not out of fear, not out of shame, but listen in order to learn and to grow and to become more of what God is calling us to be. For God, when God calls, God's call may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be unsettling, but it's always good. It's always good. When I was a little kid, I used to dread that God would call me to be a missionary in Africa. I didn't want to go. Don't, I, I don't want to listen because I don't want to go to Africa, I'd say. And, uh, 
God call where God calls. It's good. It's good. Years later, I got to talk to people who were called to Africa or South America or Asia or wherever. They said, oh, you shouldn't go if, if you don't want to. Going has to be good for you. God's call is always good for our lives. It takes us where we need to be, where we're most at home. So when Jesus talks a lot about money, we need to listen, to listen to all of his teachings on money, including the strange parable of the dishonest manager, who despite his morality, somehow becomes an example in Jesus' mind for how we're supposed to live. So the whole range of Jesus and his teachings on money. For some are called, like the rich young ruler in the, in the Gospel of Luke, to give everything away. To take a complete vow of poverty. Jesus said to this rich man, go sell everything that you have, give your money to the poor, and come and follow me. Some people are called to that way. And it is a beautiful way. It models for us that kind of life of simplicity that we, that we spoke of in the call to worship. There is, there is value in that. And, and I'm grateful and I honor those who are called to that way. Some of you have read Shane Claiborne, The the Irresistible Revolution. Some people are called to that way, to model this simple way in order to strip away all of the, the, the peripheral things and live in that life of God. Others are called to a different way. Luke is the only one who also is the only one who tells the story of a man named Zacchaeus. You know, the wee little man who climbed up in the sycamore tree. When he comes down from the tree and Jesus comes to his house, Zacchaeus announces, half of everything I have, I'm giving away. The rich young ruler, everything. Zacchaeus, half. In today's parable... Jesus commends this manager who has squandered his owner's resources. He's been doing something. We don't know what. Cooking the books somehow. The owner comes along and says, you're fired. But before the manager turns in his badge, he decides, I'm going to have a fire sale here. I'm going to cut some deals here. And make it so that when I'm fired from this place, I'll have, a, I'll have somewhere to go. And Jesus says, go be like that guy. Really? Like him? Now, I think we can all agree that Jesus wasn't encouraging us to go out and be dishonest managers. To do things wrongly in the places where we work. I, don't, I also don't think Jesus was calling us to go out and be phonies, to have a kind of a faux conversion, and then you grease the wheels for future hospitality by using the owner's oil. That's not what Jesus is saying here. What Jesus is saying here, though, is to be shrewd. Shrewd. To use your life, your life, whether you're a child, a young adult, senior adult, median adult, to use your life right now in ways that are shrewd. Now, some people, when they hear the word shrewd, think I'm referring to something that's sinister or underhanded or dishonest. But by shrewd, I mean that capacity to take risks, 
to have the kind of savvy that you see opportunities and realize we need some creativity here and some out-of-the-box thinking, and we've got to move quickly, like a running back who sees a hole and runs through it quickly because in just a split second, the hole closes up. That's what the manager was doing. He was shrewd. He knew that his time was just about up. And so quick-wittedly, he improvises. He takes what he has and makes the best with what he has. Jesus says, that's how spiritually awake children of the light should live. To use our wealth, whatever we have, our capacities, our place, to make a place, as Jesus put it, in the eternal home. In other words, to do the work of God's love in this world. To promote it, to promulgate it, to perpetuate it, but mostly to perform this work of love with our very lives, with our hands, with our hearts. To do so intentionally. To do so with urgency. To do so primarily with our lives. To wake up in the morning and and begin the day not by thinking, what's in today for me? How can I advance me? But rather, how can I be part of something bigger and more beautiful than myself? How can I be part of this creative work of love? It's not... It's never perfect. It's always approximate. Jesus said we're working within what he called dishonest wealth. He uses that reference twice, dishonest wealth. Make friends for yourself with dishonest wealth so that later they'll welcome you into the eternal home. If you're not faithful with dishonest wealth, who's going to entrust you with the true riches? Dishonest wealth is not to suggest that You or I are going out and earning our living in a dishonest way. I think it's recognizing, frankly, that the system that we operate in, the culture and the economy, and and the world in which we live is oppressive and dominating for some in order to elevate and make it easier for others. I don't think anybody would deny that, that the, that the deck is stacked, that the scales are tipped, that we extract more from the powerless and the poor. And I'm not just referring to the payday lenders, although a curse on their house. And I'm not just talking about slumlords or crooked investors or the, the, the people in power. I'm really talking about any time our system makes it harder for poor people to be poor. And frankly, makes it easier for people to be poor. The poor don't have power. The poor don't have a voice. And yet Jesus saw, and you do too, they bear the image of God just as you and I bear the image of God. Which is why in this context, in this economy of dishonest wealth, the children of light, the church... And all people of faith are challenged to use our place, 
our wealth, whatever it is, our privilege, our peace within this dishonest wealth system to reverse the course and to make things right. Make things right. That's what the manager does. He thinks to himself, before my access card is deactivated, before I'm shut out of the computer system, before I have to turn in my keys, I'm going to include in the conversation those who do not have power and those who do not have a voice. And so the manager invites into the story another group, the debtors, those who are beholding to the owner and to the manager. And at one level, you, we can read this simply as, well, he's just trying to feather his nest so that he'll f- land well when he's fired. But at another level, while he has time, this dishonest manager is making things right. Some have suggested that uh, the discount that, he, that the manager makes You owe 100, give me 50. You owe me 100, give me 80. What he's doing is taking out his own commission and the overpricing, overmarking that the owner has done in order to give what the people have received at the cost that it actually was to make things right. That great pastoral care leader, Wayne Oates, once stood here in our sanctuary He was an old, old man. He couldn't even climb the steps. He stood on the edge, uh, on floor level, and with a microphone, he reminded us one time, money is nothing more than energy concentrated. Think about it. The money in your wallet is nothing more than a little piece of energy concentrated. And Jesus says, use every form, every facet of energy that's in your care to restore and redirect some small corner of the world toward this reality that there is enough for everyone. We don't need to hoard it. We don't need to steal it. That God's call is to fairness and justice. This is the call of God for the people of God. And Jesus said, it doesn't matter if you have a little or if you have a whole lot, that God's watching what we do with what we have. Whoever's faithful in very little will later receive very much, Jesus says. Now, when I say God is watching, some of you still have an image of God as being up in the sky, some big eye in the sky who has a clipboard who makes things happen and records the results. Sort of like Santa Claus at Christmas time. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. But what if God is the sacred connection around and between and within us, this bigger picture of God who watches By being there as life itself, watching life itself. And if we're tuned in, if we're willing to be God's agent, if we're willing to be shrewd like this manager, then we naturally parlay our lives, everything we have, into conduits of creative and compassionate care. And it's true. If you do it just a little bit, 
God gives you more. If you see it one time, you see it a second time. If you see that opening for you to be the instrument of God and you act on it, you begin to see it everywhere and it changes everything. We've been thinking in, in our home about money recently, mainly because we're renovating our kitchen. Can I just say cha-ching? We thought after 30 years of marriage we could handle a kitchen renovation. Stay tuned on that one. When it's done, it's going to be nice. It's going to open it up. It's going to be nice. It's not going to be plush, but it will be nice. And we plan to enjoy it, and we plan someday to pass it on to another family and pass on the story of this wonderful house. We, we love our, our, we're, we're the home we've been given. But my hope is that we're shrewd, that we take the gift that God has given us to use this kitchen to make things right. And to my, by make things right, I hope Terry will make some food right. It, it, she's a wonderful cook, and I look forward to that. But make things right by making food for other people, by inviting people into our home, by saying, this is a place, this is God's kitchen. And you are welcome, and I hope you feel safe and warm and invited here. Several years ago, I shared with you that I had this time of prayer. It was my day off, and I was sitting in a chair, and I, was so, I got caught up in trying to uh, move my life in, into God's center. And I said in that prayer, God, I give everything that I have and am to you. It's a really scary moment. It's one of those moments where you think, oh my gosh, what did I just say? Can I take that back? But I'd said it. I give everything I have and am to you. But then it got worse because I felt God speak within me and beyond me and the voice came back, I will receive what you've given me. But I want you to manage it. In other words, I couldn't just divest and go live in a cave. I was called to live here and now as the manager of what God has given to me. This is tricky. This is tricky. You can see where this can go. You can see how it could be tempting to use this as a loophole, to spend all this money on yourself and go, oh, this is all for God, you know. It's hard. You have to be shrewd. You have to be creative and intentional. God knows our motives. Don't try to trick God. But if our motives are to use our lives and by by the shrewdness of love and by the courage of our conviction and the creativity of the Spirit, we can use who we are and what's in our wallets and what's in our checkbooks in this dishonest system to make life right and fair and just. I think God says to us, go do it.
do it. Live with, live with intentionality, live with passion, and live your life for God. I'm also thinking about money this, a lot this week, the past week, because I find myself at this inter- interesting intersection that uses connections and resources to try something new here in the city of Louisville with this Empower West group we have, with Simmons College of Kentucky, with Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Last week I was at the New Baptist Covenant gathering. It was a national gathering that Kevin Cosby and I attended mainly, mainly frankly, to meet some people that we needed to meet. We wanted to cast the vision of what we're doing in front of some other people. We have an opportunity tomorrow and Tuesday to go to San Antonio and ask a major foundation to entrust us with some money to help bring this new thing into reality. Let me say that I can only do this uh, because we have a a deep and rich staff who are running the the church while I'm gone these days and, and a congregation like you who believes in what we're doing, it requires that we love God, not wealth. You can't serve God and wealth. This has to be about something bigger than wealth. This has to be about God. So I ask you to pray for me, but even more than that, today I want to invite you, as I do each week, to join in, to be part of this work of love, to invest your life in love, in your own way, with your own life, to join. Not only because it's the right thing to do. Here's the deal. It's fun. It's fun. you, You find an aliveness in investing in love that you can never find by just spending things for yourself. We have a lot of wonderful, crazy couples in our church. So you fit right in. I know a couple who has, both have high-stress jobs. They have two little kids. One of them is a baby. She's just had major surgery. Father-in-law who's sick. But they saw a picture in our church newsletter about this Congolese family that we're sponsoring together. This single mother with seven children saw a picture of them at the laundromat trying to do laundry. First of all, can you picture a family coming from the Congo, years in a refugee camp, and introducing them to washers and dryers? Well, this family realized the complexity of doing all that laundry in a laundromat. And they were shrewd. They said, let's get on Craigslist. Let's find a washer and dryer. Not only did they find the washer and dryer, they paid for the washer and dryer. And not only did they pay for the washer and dryer, they went and picked it up. These are busy people. Not only did they pick it up, they took it to the apartment and lugged it in there and and installed it. And here's where things get really fun. Then they tried to teach these Congolese people, without an interpreter, how to use a washer and a dryer. It's called the kingdom of God. 
It didn't have stained glass windows around it. It's not fancy. But it makes things right. And I guarantee you they would say, it was exhausting and it was fun. To invest in love, it's our calling. It's our way. As our choir will sing, there is no such beauty as where you belong. May we find where we belong as we invest in love.